this on the web because this is a, a brief teaching I want to drop in. And for those of you who have not yet come to Christ, I want you to hear what becomes yours once you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. You immediately become a son or a daughter of the Most High God. You immediately become an inheritor of all of heaven. It's not something we have to earn or work for. And the reason I want to drop this in is because I find that when we don't understand what I'm about to read, that so often we are in a begging posture. So often we are trying to receive something that is already ours, even in worship. And I'm not stopping the worship because I think there's something wrong with it this morning. I just want to drop it in here so that when we go back into worship in a moment, we are not in a posture of, even when we say things like heaven come, for me, it's not let heaven come like heaven's not here. So I hope heaven decides to come. It's more of a phraseology. We have heaven, but we want to experience more of the heaven that has already come. So heaven come. Do you understand? So um, it's all ours in Christ. So I want you to see in particular the past tense verbs in what I'm about to read. Uh, Verse 2 of Ephesians chapter 1. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody say grace. Grace. Okay, so grace to you. Grace grace has already come to those who are uh, in Christ. Look at verse 3 and we're going to read through and look at the past tense verbs here. And put yourself right in the body of this text. Blessed, blessed, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who... Uh, go ahead and say the past tense with me. Say it out loud has blessed us with some all right the second row's got it I don't know what's happening on the back row yet but the second row's got it say I have been blessed with every spiritual blessing say it I have been blessed with every spiritual blessing Bam. So when we stand here and worship, we're, we're, we're worshiping blessed already, right? Yes. I'll try not to preach. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Heavenly places is the spirit realm, which is just right here. It's not just all the way out there. Just as he, past tense, say it. I'm in the new King James. Just as he, what? Chose, not going to choose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love say these two words together having come on it's not hard having predestined us is that up there can you guys read oh it wasn't up there all right say it out loud us to the adoption of sons by jesus christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence having made known having made known to us already the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in heaven in Christ both which are in heaven and on earth in him also we say it have obtained not going to have obtained an inheritance everybody say I have obtained an inheritance 
It's already ours. We're just here tapping into what's already ours this morning. Amen? I have obtained an inheritance. Say it out loud. The next two words. Being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, past tense say it, trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purpose of possession to the praise of his glory. And the book just goes on and on and on with what we have already been blessed with. So I'm going to ask that we all stand again and let's enter back into worship. And let's worship as the redeemed sons and daughters of God who have already obtained an inheritance. And when we say things like heaven come, what we're saying is because it's already ours. So come on in this place. We're not begging for it. We're not hoping for it. It's already ours. Let's receive it. Let's let heaven and earth meet through our praise. Amen. All right, just turn to give the person next to you a high five, all right? And just say, wake up. It's time for the word. All right, this morning, Pastor Mike, our youth pastor, and I are going to preach together. I'm going to go first, and I'll leave him uh, about a minute and a half. In, 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 uh, in light of what we're uh, doing in this parenting form, we thought it would be wise for us to also talk about uh, empowering families uh, at the, from the pulpits as well. I have some pastor friends in the region. We met together and we are all teaching. Uh, many of us are teaching on uh, relationships and marriage and parenting right now at the same time throughout the community while these forums and workshops are going on. But these principles that we're teaching are transferable to almost any relationship you have. You just got to apply them to your roommate or to your boss, your employee, your work associates, classmates. So these are transferable. Though we're going to talk specifically today about parenting and uh, about parenting a young and but primarily teens. So last week we talked about how to connect with your kids. Karen Farrell was here. How many of you think Carol did a great job last week? Wasn't that awesome? And uh, thank you, Karen. That was that was that was outstanding. And you come with great credibility. So Karen and I taught about connecting with your kids, a vertical, I mean a uh, horizontal relational deal. We learned that parents need to be the parent in order to impart into the life of your child everything he or she will need to be successful in life. We found that healthy relationships is the bridge that you need to build to transfer these resources into your child's life, but each bridge has a weight-bearing load limit. So if your relationship with your child is weak and you're trying to give them 2,000 pounds of instruction, but the bridge can only handle 1,000 pounds, that bridge is going to break. So we've, we talked about how we talked about the three things that all teens and all children need to strengthen that bridge in your family's life. So if you didn't hear that message, you want to hear it online from last week. But in, in, in light of that, there's an expert that lives in our city, Diane Sterling, who has written a book called The Parent as Coach, which is an outstanding book. We uh, ordered a number of them. She signed them as well. The signed cop is in the back at the Resource Center for Sale. Okay, I'm going to take this one because... Uh, it's really, really good. And we also have a couple other parenting books back there. One from one of Mark and Shelley's from, from Canada. She came and did a workshop for us. That workshop she did, that little afternoon workshop, impacted me more than probably any other workshop I've done except for the ESO. Both of those deeply impact, impacted me as a parent. You, you want to look at those books out there. But today, we're not going to hit it from a, uh, a horizontal level. Mike and I are going to hit it from a vertical level. I want to talk to you today about how to raise spiritual giants. 
And that doesn't mean your child is going to be perfect. I'm talking about a spiritual giant is a child who has learned from his parents how to trust God. So that when they experience the giants in the land like you and I do, they watch mom and dad and how mom and dad take down those giants and they say, I'm going to do it like mom and dad does it. This is how we raise spiritual giants is by teaching our children how to trust God. Paul, uh, God, God tells Israel this. He says, write down, and everybody needs to be doing this in your home. Write down the answers to prayers that I have answered in your life so that generation yet to be born will praise me. You see, we model to our kids what it means to walk with God. But I want to start by saying this. Parenting begins with God. What do I mean by that? Let's look at Psalm 139, verse 13 through 16. For you formed my inward parts. This is David, the man after God's own heart, who had this explosive, spontaneous revelation about himself. You formed my inward parts. What a great, what a great message on a day when we dedicated a child, and this scripture on a day we dedicated a child. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That takes care of all self-esteem issues. Marvelous are your works. Just look at me. And now my soul may know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they all were written. The days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. What do I mean that parenting starts with God? We did not make our children. You did not make your children. Mary and Chris, I know you had a small part to play in it, but ultimately God made Mary, Emma. Mary. M3. God made Mary. God made all of our children. We didn't even make ourselves. The Bible says that. We did not make ourselves. God made us. Not only did God make our children, so parenting begins with him, but God preordained your child to be here. And he has a plan for your child's life. What does the scripture say right at the end? It says, and in your book, they were written, the days fashioned for me, as yet there were none of them. So God already has a destiny for your child. That's why it's so critical, parents, that we don't try to have our children live out our dreams. God has a destiny for your life. He has a destiny for your child's life. So you're in my job as parents is to find out what gifts and callings your child has from God and then get under them and support them in that calling. We do not want to superimpose. In fact, Scott Fisher said this. One day, Scott Fisher, the principal of Poway High School, his daughter came to him. He has three daughters. His daughter came to him and said, Dad, I don't want to go to, and she mentioned an Ivy League school. She said, you want me to go to that school because it will look good on you. But I want to go to this university over here. And he said it hit him like a Mack truck because it was true. He said, it would look good on me. I, I want to be able to say my son and my daughter went to this school or that school because that looks good on me. You know those bumper stickers? My child is better than your child basically is what the bumper sticker says. It's not about the child. It's about the parent. That's what I believe. Anyway, it's like, look at me. I produce something wonderful because the Bible says that a wise son gives glory to his parents, but a foolish son brings shame upon his parents. And so we know that the success of our kids reflect back on our parenting and our leadership and our DNA. And so... Um, 
It's very important though that we don't parent out of fear and want our kids to be successful so bad that we define what success is for our child. We've got to go to God and say, what is your plan for my child? And then we become a surrogate to God's purpose in that child's life. Can I hear an amen? amen. All right, it's true whether you believe it or not. And the faster you get on that page, the better you'll, you'll be off. Okay, so this means you are not alone in your parenting. And this brings up the second point. Parenting is partnering with God. Luke, I love this passage. I've been praying this over my kids every morning recently. Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. Great prayer to pray. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. I pray that in the mornings. It just makes me feel good to pray that. And look at this. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. That's what I pray for my kids. God, I'm doing the best I can to raise my kids, but I need you to establish the work of my hands for me and let your glory be seen upon my children. Look at Isaiah 49. For I will contend with those who contend with you and I will save your children. I remember one time where I was with Elliot on vac- uh, on, in vacation in Ohio. Hope called us and she said she had a dream that Elliot and I were caught in a tornado that was coming toward us. And I said, I had a a dream last night, the same night I had a dream that there was a hurricane that was going to come over Elliot and I was on the beach with him and I was covering him. Isn't that interesting that the Holy Spirit gave hope a dream and gave me a dream on the same day about Elliot and I who were away. So what did I do? I didn't freak out. I called the intercessors and we began to pray the word of God. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. I will contend with those who contend with you and I will save your children. I took the word of God and I prayed it back to God and the intercessors prayed and nothing ever happened. And this brings up the third point I have for you today. One, parenting begins with God. He's the ultimate parent. In fact, let me say something to you about that. One day when I was trying to work through my father issues, God spoke to me and said, I was your dad before your dad was ever born. You see, I was caught up in what my dad did or didn't do for me. And I was thinking my life began with my dad. But the Lord said, oh, no, 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 no. Your time, your lifetime line began all the way back here before you were even born. I conceived you. I knew you when you were in the womb. I was your father before your father was ever born and grew up and had a child named John. And it took me all the way back to my father in heaven as my father, which enabled me then to have a healthy relationship with my dad because I wasn't cursing him all the time for jacking me. See, that's just my terminology. And then what happened was once I was able to transcend the need of the approval from my dad in an inordinate way and go all the way back to my heavenly father and get my self-esteem from him, then I was able to start looking at my dad and saying, geez, and your dad didn't do everything right for you and... And, but you've done great things for me. And I got on the other side of it and started recognizing the good that my father had implanted into me. And his and my relationship was healed. And for the next 20 years or so uh, of our lives, we walked well together. He gave his life to Jesus. We were worshiping in church together. And then he died and went on to heaven. But I thank God that God gave me this word because we put too much on our parents. God is the only perfect dad. And I would say mother too, but that got us in trouble last time and somebody left the church. So I'm not going to say that this morning, but I will say that when God says, I want to, the, the, when he points to describing his love, he says, would a, a nursing, would a mother nursing her child abandon her child? I will not abandon you. Whenever God tries to explain his love, he goes to the mom. You don't mess with the mama's kids. She'll scratch your eyes out. 
So back to the story of Elliot and I, when we prayed the word of God and God delivered us, this brings up my last point, which is point three. You must parent from the word of God. There are many different ways that we parent many sources, but I'm going to say the place you must start mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, aunt and uncle, uh, adults working with young people. You must start with the Word of God. We have a generation of young people growing up that don't know the Word of God. And let me tell you something, as adults, if you don't know the Word of God, you don't know God. You can come to church, you can speak in tongues, you can say you know God, but you do not if you don't know the Word of God. The Word of God is the, ex- the exact revelation and expression of God. Jesus is called the Word of God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Every word was breathed from the Holy Spirit. Do not allow the enemy to convince you that the Word of God is not the Word of God. It is the reflection, the expression, the explanation of God in the earth. The Bible says, your word forever is settled in heaven, O God. Well, the war over the Word of God is not in heaven. Everybody knows God's Word is the Word. The Bible says God created the worlds with His Word. The Bible says God sent His Word and it healed them. The Bible says we are born again by the Word of God. Jesus said heaven and earth will pass away, but not one jot or tittle of my Word will ever pass away. The Word of God created the worlds, defines the worlds, everything submits to the Word of God. Even Satan has to submit to the Word of God. When Satan attacked Jesus, Jesus quoted scriptures that Moses wrote down. It is written, it is written, it is written. Why is Jesus quoting scriptures that a man wrote? And why is the chief prince uh, prince of darkness being affected by black ink on white paper quoted by a man because it is the word of god and it cuts like a sword in the spirit realm god honors it and satan honors it when you make him honor it but if you don't know the bible you do not know god you'll make up some caricature of some god that you're more comfortable with but it's not the God of heaven and earth. This is why when I talk to Mormons and they get mad at me, and I'll say it plainly and bluntly, I will say they do not worship the same Jesus that we worship. If I said, hey, I know Mark, he hates football. He doesn't, he doesn't like boats and sailing. And, uh, uh, and, his, and, his, uh, and he's not very funny. And you would say, you're talking about Mark Cowpersmith? Yeah, Mark Cowpersmith. That's not the Mark, that's not the Mark I know. That's not Mark Cowpersmith. Yes, it is. This is what we do with Jesus. They say Jesus is Satan's brother. That they fought over who would be the savior of the world, and Satan won. And that God used to be a man, but he attained godhood. So therefore he's our pattern. So what Satan said in the Garden of Eden, which I was, had a Mormon at my front door, and I said, listen, you're saying I can become a god? Yes. Do you not know that that's what Satan told Eve in the Garden? That was the beginning of the fall. And I said, why would Satan tell Eve she could be a god? And the gal said to me, because it was the truth. You've got to know the Bible, not the Book of Mormon, not the New World Translation from the Jehovah Witnesses, not any other religion, not any other book. This book is the Word of God in the earth. And if you don't honor it, you're going to find yourself building a foundation of sand in your life. Jesus said, he that builds his life on my word, the storms of life are going to crash into your house and it will stand. But he that does not build his life on the words that I teach you, when the storms of life hit your house, it will fall. And that includes parenting. You cannot parent based on what you think is right. 
I don't think you ought to spank your children. Well, you ought to read the Bible. Well, I think we ought to spank them every time they do something wrong. Well, you need to read the Bible too, because there's mercy and there's, there's truth. There's a balance there. Well, I think I should be their friends. They don't need a friend. They need a parent, right? I'm going back to last week's sermon, but the Bible is so clear on human relationships. It is so clear on parenting. We can't parent after our parents' model. We can't parent after our own philosophies. We can't overreact to what was or wasn't done to us. We've got to go to the Bible and build our family on a biblical foundation. Can I hear an amen yet? I know. All right, here we go. Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you'll be my disciples. The best piece of advice I ever received was when I got saved, some guy in church said, read this book. There's magic in these pages. I wouldn't have used the word magic. I didn't know then, but I started reading it. I never stopped. When I was in college, I had all these books I had to study. I put the Bible on top and I read 15 minutes in the Bible before I read any of my other books because I wanted to honor God and honor his word. And I found he gave me wisdom for the other books when I started with his book because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You got to honor the word of God. This is the greatest declaration in the entire Old Testament, the most important scripture. And this is Israel's cry. Attention, Israel, God, our God, God, the only one love God, your God with your whole heart. Love him with all that is in you. Love him with all you've got. Write these commandments that I've given you today in your hearts. This is the key to success in life is the word of God getting it into our hearts. Why don't we do this? I'm going to ask you, why don't you do it? I don't know. You answer that for yourself. You don't have to answer me. I'm giving you a moment to think about it. Why don't you do this? This is the most important scripture in the whole Bible, other than Jesus is the savior. He told Israel, love God with your heart. Get the word into your hearts. He told Joshua, meditate my word day and night and you'll be successful. Why don't you do the foundational thing that will make you successful in God? And then he goes on to say this, get them inside of you and then get them inside your children. Talk about them wherever you go, sitting at home or walking in the street. Talk about them from the time you get up in the morning to when you fall into bed at night. Tie them on your hands, foreheads as a reminder, and scribe them on the doorposts of your homes and on your city gates. Why don't you do this? Because here's the reality. Your kids are going to imitate someone. Right now, they are going to imitate you if they're young. And as they get older, they're going to imitate MTV or, that's old. They're, they're going to imitate, yeah, that's, that's an old illustration. They're going to imitate the pop culture of today. They're going to imitate the philosophies they're learning in college. They are going to model after. Paul said this, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Imitating your parents or someone is not a bad thing. Is what everybody does. They do it in business. They have a rookie come in and they imitate a veteran. They do it in sports. A rookie comes in, they saddle him up with a veteran. They do it in Tennessee walkers, the dancing horses. They take a, a, a young horse and they yoke it to an older horse so they imitate them until they can go on their own. You and I right now, especially those that have young children, need to understand what God is saying here is so our children can be spiritual giants. Now, Mike, uh, Mike what's your last name? D'Ambra has been working with youth for over 20 years. He, he is not using youth ministry as a stepping stone. He loves teenagers and he's going to love them and pass them to probably till the day he dies. He's in our house. We're lucky to have him. Welcome Mike D'Ambra as he comes and shares with us the word of God. 
Well, John was in joke, and he's given me about a minute and a half. No, you got, you got so uh, I'm just playing. Are we good on the, the mic there? Okay. Well, great. Well, hey, um, getting a lot of feedback. Is that just me? Okay. Um, but anyway, I'm excited about um, when John, we were talking about this a few weeks ago. Um, one of the things is, is uh, our whole leadership team from the children's ministry up, we are all in agreement that we really are, um, we're not just trying to have a youth group. We're trying to raise spiritual, spiritual giants. Starts from the children's ministry up. And, um, you know, one of the things that we talk about, it's not just a, a title of a message either. We were talking about how do we raise spiritual giants. And I've been doing this for over 20 years. And one of the things... Okay. And one of the things is, is I, I, as a parent of myself, uh, myself with three kids, I would look, and as a youth pastor, I'd always wonder, when people were raising up spiritual giants, I always wanted to know, what are they doing so that I can raise my own spiritual giants? And so I was, I was always trying to take inventory. And one thing is this, is nobody does it the same way as the next person, completely. They might take some nuggets, apply it, there might be some common things. But I can say this, is if when I was reviewing this in my mind, the one common thing, 100% of the time, 100% of the time, when somebody had spiritual, mature kids that they raised, was this. It was not by accident. It was never, ever, ever by accident. It was purposeful parenting. They had a vision. They had a mission. It was deliberate. Um, their actions, they were building a culture. They were building an environment that they were trying to pass on something down to generations. And another thing that I, I, I realize is that people that build spiritual giants, the Paplavas, four generations, I mean, that really struck me. That's powerful. I thought about that. The parents that raise spiritual giants think multi-generationally. They're thinking about the next generation and the next one. And also, they don't look at the, the, simply at the moment of today. They're thinking about that child and what they'll be in the future. They don't see a messy lump of clay on a wheel. They're like the sculptor that really actually sees something beautiful that will come from that clay. And so anyway, I get excited about talking about legacy and generational stuff, and I really get excited when I see a family passing it down like the Paplavas. And so one thing that I know is this, is, you know, I ask this question, how do we raise spiritual giants? In Psalms 119 and 9, it says this, how can a young person stand the path of purity? It's a great question. And it says, by living according to your word. And in verse 11, David said, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So think about that. How, do I, how does one stand a path of purity? He says the word. And he hides it in his heart so he may not sin against the Lord. And I'll tell you what. I was walking. One time I was, um, I was 19 years old. I wasn't a Christian. I was at the Del Mar Fair with some of my friends. I was far from God. Didn't have God, didn't want God, didn't think of God. I was just there having a good time at the fair, and it was crowded. And the guy was walking through the crowd, and he was handing something out. And he handed out a little, little thing about this size, and I thought it was a coupon for a vendor. I just thought I was getting a coupon for a free hot dog or something. So I grabbed it, looked down, and as I was walking, it said something about a Bible. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't want it. My friend took it and he just threw it on the ground. I don't want this, threw it. You know, I wasn't going to do that, I just tucked it away, but I had no intention of using it. I went home that night, I probably took it out of my pocket, threw it in a junk drawer, and um, probably sat there for a couple of years. 21 years old, God's reaching me. So he's, he's kind of reaching me now. I'm, I'm feeling... 
We all feel better now. There we go. Is that better? All right. Thank you. It was bugging me, too. 21 years old, God starts reaching into my heart. I start getting drawn to him. I don't know how it was, but I still had that thing. I pulled it out. I started reading that word every day. I wasn't saved yet, I was, but I was, I'm telling you, that word was something impactful to me. It played a big part in a year or so later when I actually gave my life to the Lord. I didn't go to some revival meeting and get saved. It was the word of God that was inspiring me every day. I'd bring this little thing. I'd tuck it in my pocket. I'd go to work. I'd read it. I'd read little topical. There's only about two dozen scriptures. I'd read it, and I'd get something good every single day from it. So the word in my life, it was very, very powerful. And when I made that decision, when I became a Christian, when I gave my life to the Lord, I went in all in. I was in 100%. In fact, what many of you don't know is even before I really... My, my first start in ministry was actually international ministry. And so I think they got a, a slide of me uh, with the ministry there. I had to do it. Had to do it. I used to work at Qualcomm. One of the guys made that slide. And, uh, and uh, I, think, uh, I think Mark has that picture, a uh, signed one in his house there. I signed it, white elephant gift. But... Um, <laughs> But seriously, um, one of the things that I can say that in my life, the Word of God was a huge thing. And I'll tell you why. And you talked a little bit about it. It was a value that was put on me from the very beginning. My sister told me from the very beginning, she says, Michael, this is the deal. You need to develop a relationship with God. You've got to learn to pray. And you've got to learn your Bible. You've got to read your Bible and learn the Word. Get it in your heart. And another lady came up to me shortly after I got saved, and she grabbed me with tears in her eyes. She said, she said, Michael, look, I'm so proud of you. And I was like, oh, thank you. That's so nice. And she said, but here's the deal. And she grabbed my arm very, very, very firmly. And I looked her in the eye. I didn't know what she was going to say. She said, you need to know this. If your family ever were to leave the church, you have to know the word of God so that you can walk your walk on your own. You've got to walk this out as an adult. And at the time, I didn't totally get it. It kind of shook me a little bit. I thought, what is she talking about? But after a period of time, I realized that what she was saying is that I can get rocked down here in the pit. And a lot of the teens do. They love this part of the church. But the part that's going to keep them down the road is the Word of God. The problem is, is that I really feel that as a Christian uh, nation, even probably globally, were failing in this part of it, um, getting the word in their, in their hearts. And I know this because I've seen it firsthand um, as a youth pastor, but the other thing is, is statistically, we know this as well. Statistics show us that only one out of three Christian teens open up their Bible each week. One out of three teens. Now think about that. We should be alarmed by that, okay? I think that should really be staggering and, and, and disappointing, but one out of three teens. So about 70% of the teens don't even open their Bible. It's pretty common that I'll ask a group of teenagers, maybe 20 of them in my class, and I'll say, can somebody get a scripture for me? Who's got their Bible? 20 teens in the room. Maybe three or four hands go up. This is a God, uh, this is a word church right here. We believe in the word of God. And some reason, that value is not being passed down. 70%, of, roughly 70% of teens, Christian teens, aren't reading their Bible. But here's a staggering statistic. About 70% of Christians the age of 22 or older leave the church. I started thinking, I wonder, how many of that 70% that leave are the 70% that aren't reading the Word? 
I wonder how much of a correlation that is. And I read, a, I read an article by a Christian author, and she said that when she was a freshman in a secular college, her science professor had them write some paper on the universe, and he said, if anybody puts God or mentions God in their paper, you will get an F, because he don't exist in this class. And she said it was at that moment that she realized how important the word of God was in her walk, in her life, and that her parents passed it on. And so I want to talk a little bit about how do we get the teens or your kids in the word of God. And so I'll say this. They all should have a Bible. There should be no excuse for that. Get them a teen Bible, though. I'm just going to say don't get them some new King James Bible. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's going to be... And yeah, just get them a teen. You know, they got these, um, I don't have one up here, but they got some really good teen Bibles. It'll be perfect. But what I want to say is this. The first thing I would get them, it's still kind of tough. I'd get them a teen devotional Bible. That's a day-by-day, daily devotional. I think we all should have a devotional. And the reason why is because a 2,000-page book, to put it in an immature Christian's hand, it's going to be intimidating. A lot of times when I ask teens, why aren't you reading? What is it? What's the, you know, we just sit down and talk. They'll say, I don't know where to read. I don't know what to read. It's kind of confusing. They say that all the time. It's confusing. Well, I understand that. I thought the same thing, too, when I was 22 and I got saved. So a devotional Bible will break it down in a daily dose. In fact, this one's really cool. We just bought a bunch of them. It's called a one-minute Bible. Now, what it is is that you open it up and there's a couple of scriptures, there's a couple of questions, and there's a couple of things that gives your teen something to think about. But that's number one. We got to get them in the Word. And I think the, we got them in the resource booth. They're about 10 bucks each, so it's not expensive. And if somebody didn't have the money, we'll work that out too. But we got to get these in their hands. Um, we got to get our kids, not just teens, our kids, we got to get them reading the Word of God. We got to get them excited about the Word of God. It shouldn't be this big dictionary that they don't want to touch. A teen devotion will be phenomenal. And there's a lot of them out there. It's not the only one. The second thing, though, I want to say this I recommend getting them a journal. A journal is really cool. I started doing that with my teens. And the re- reason that I did that, I just wanted to get them into not just reading the Bible for me or to say I did my, my devotional. I told them, I said, you know, look, this is what I'd like from you. And I made some kind of arrangement with them um, where if they do this, you know, we'll do something real fun. And, but I said, here's the deal. If you start reading your devotional and every day when you read it, write something in your journal that you got out of that scripture. I wanted to do that. That way they had to somehow uh, pull something out of the, the verses they did. I'll tell you what, it was very helpful. Uh, in fact, my, teen, my nine-year-old, I took one of her little uh, journals, and I thought, it's really interesting. You know, you get them thinking about the Word of God, and they'll come up with something. And this was one of her journal verse, uh, um, entries that she had. Do you ever feel so mad that you just want to punch something? Well, you don't have to do that. You just need to be more kind to friends and family. Well, that's a nine-year-old. It's raw. It's kind of raw, okay? It's, it's, un, it's unfiltered, but it's raw. But you know what? You get a teen or a young person reading the Word of God, it impacts them in some way. You know what? The journal is powerful. My teenage daughter, she got uh, the Bethany Hamilton journal. That's the girl that had her arm, the surfer that lost her arm through a shark attack. She loves it. I always ask her, you know, what did you read today? And I talked to her about it. And that's my third point is this. Talk to them about what you've been reading in the Bible or learning in youth church. I'm telling you something. If you don't ask, you'll never know. You want to know where the spiritual barometer is in your kid? Ask them some questions. They'll tell you. 
That is a huge one right there. Talk to them a little bit about what they're reading in their, in their devotional. Ask them how God's been speaking in their heart and share with you. Um, ask provoking questions. You know, I might ask my kids, hey, what did you read today? Oh, we learned about the three Hebrew children. Oh, really? What'd you think about that? What'd you think about that when they got thrown in the fire? You know, what, what do you think you would have done? I mean, I just ask questions. Sometimes they don't have an answer, but I'm just getting them thinking. You know, and that's the key is we got to get them in that culture. Again, it's never accidental. You don't become a spiritually mature person accidentally. The discussion has to start. And it's amazing that sometimes now that I've started that dialogue, they'll come back to me. Hey, say, hey, I read this. What do you think of this? It's a great discussion starter. One of the biggest things, and I think one of the biggest classes in the parenting forum was the communication class. There's a huge disconnect between teenagers and adults, kids and adults. Spiritually, I think, you know, it may sometimes be awkward if you haven't done this already. But, man, you could ask anything. You can use world events to start a great spiritual conversation every single day. Hey, honey, you know, I could tell my teenage daughter, what do you think of that situation? What do you, how do you think that... How do you think that ties into God? I mean, it is really thought-provoking, and it's powerful. I like doing it to my young kids as well. I mean, th- th- those are the fun ones. The- you never know what you're going to get. You just don't. Ask your nine-year-old daughter, you know, hey, what's your favorite character in the Bible? Uh, Esther. Oh, that's cool. Why Esther? She's a princess. She's pretty. And she saved the world. <laughs> wow, that's great, great. Hey, little buddy, come on over here. You know, call the six-year-old son. There he is over there. Hey, who's your favorite guy in the Bible? Playing his Angry Birds, you might say. I don't know, David. Oh, that's cool. Why David? Because he killed Goliath. He cut his head off and he stabbed him and he flew. You never know what you're going to get. At least he knew the story. He got it right. The good guy won. But we have those kind of discussions all the time. My 13-year-old as well. You guys, we got to have the discussion. We have to have the discussion. And I don't know why, but sometimes we may feel a little intimidated by that. But when I've talked to teenagers and I ask them, the disconnect a lot of times is in the communication. And I'm going to read another scripture that, that John already pulled out. It's Deuteronomy 6, 4, in verse 4 and 7. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. But this is the part that strikes me. Repeat them again and again to your children. I mean, think about that. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, and when you're getting up. I mean, this was a value that meant something to them. The word of God. I tell my kids all the time, if God answers, I tell the teens this, if God answers a prayer, if you got a journal, you can write it in there and date it and you can go back to it. It'll be a memorial for you. I mean, we've had so many healings in our youth group that it's phenomenal. We had a girl the other day, she Facebooked it on the Fusion page. I don't know if you saw it, but she said, hey, this girl that I reached out to and I won to the Lord, you know, she, she told me the other day that her life is totally different and changed. And I thought, man, that is a memorial. She won somebody to God. In fact, she's told me she's won three people to God. It's Megan um, Guerrero. Uh, she's won three people to the Lord in the last year. And I thought, man, you've got to document that. Put that in your journal. That's the highlight of being a Christian, getting saved and then seeing someone else get saved. But we've got to encourage our young people to do this. 
we've got to live it first. And we've got to be talking to them every day. Take, uh, again, take advantage of informal, spontaneous teaching moments. And then number four, I want to say this. Pray for them and pray with them. Second Timothy says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which has first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice. And I'm persuaded now lives in you also. I thought when the Paplavas were up here, I thought, man, that is it right there. There's grandmother praying it down to the mother, praying it down to Timothy. It didn't happen by accident that three generations were turning the world upside down. This was an intentional process. And so that is powerful. We need to pray for your, our teens, let them know how important they are. Um, but, but this is it. When you pray with them, it models an active relationship and faith in God. It models it. We're praying with them. Okay, let's pray for this. Boom, they're seeing it. They're hearing it. They're learning how to pray. When we pray for them, it shows them how important they are to ourselves and to God. Here's a couple of things I'd want to throw out there. When you're praying for them, uh, or, or in order to pray for them, here's a great discussion starters. You may never have done this. I just started doing it recently. Ask them some questions that you could pray about for them. Hey, what's your greatest fear right now? Is there anything that uh, you're going through right now that I could pray for? I was just thinking of you. I could tell my teenage daughter, hey, I was just thinking of the other day. Is there anything that's stressing you out? Anything worrying about you? I want to pray for you. Um, you know, maybe something else. Um, is there anything you need more of from mom or dad? Hey, they may come back with something that may shock us. But, you know, I'd rather know. What if they tell me, yeah, I need your attention more. I want to know now, not when they're 30. What makes you really angry? Or what are your greatest dreams? Ask a kid that. What are your dreams? What are, your, what are the things that make you happy? I mean, find out. And then say, I want to pray into that. And you can pray into it yourself. You can pray into it with them. I think that's powerful. And then also, if we start praying scripture, you were talking about it. Hebrews 4 and 12, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. I want to close with this thought here and a story. Families become strong parents, because parents pay the price. We make the investment, and we're intentional about bringing biblical truth into everyday life. It takes time. It's not always convenient. Sometimes we are tired. Sometimes we're not in the mood. But man, it is worth it. There was a story I read once. It was a young, successful attorney. And he said this, The greatest gift I ever received was a gift I got one Christmas when my dad gave me a small box. Inside was a note saying this, Son, this year I will give you 365 hours, an hour every day after dinner. It's yours. We'll talk about whatever you want to talk about. We'll go where you want to go. And we'll play whatever you want to play. It will be your hour. The attorney said, my dad not only kept his promise, but every year he renewed it. And he said, it's the greatest gift I ever had been given in my life. And today I am what I am because of his time. Our kids' spiritual development will be the result of what we invest in them today. So maybe the kids are growing up. I don't want to disqualify how this can be of value to you. We're going to be a grandparent. We're an aunt or an uncle to somebody. 
or we can just influence this generation just because we want to. So everybody this applies to, and it's never too late to start. The, the statistics show that after the age of 18, 4% chance that you might get saved. I mean, it's, it doesn't sound good, but it's never too late. I broke the statistic. You broke the statistic. And when we deal with God, the supernatural, the statistics don't mean a whole lot. So don't give up if you feel like, well, I blew it. He's gone. They're gone. It's never, ever too late. My sister prayed for me every day. And she prayed the word over me. God gave her a scripture. She had it written on her, on her, on her, on her fridge. And she prayed it over me until it became true. So... Anyway, let's just work together. Let's change this generation and let's make a difference and raise spiritual giants. Amen. Amen. Yeah, this is mine. Thanks, Mike. You know, you were talking about modeling. Um, on the way down from church today, for church, I told Ava, you need to listen to some music because I need to pray. So I'm, I'm, I'm praying. Uh, while she was listening to music, and then she used to say, hey, Dad. And so I turned the music down. I was a little irritated because I told her I needed to pray. She said, I'm back here praying for Lily. And uh, I thought, wow. And she said, uh, God just spoke to me. <laughs> I said, really? What did he say? We got into this conversation. It was hilarious. But at least, and I thought, this is what you're talking about. Modeling. The children are watching and modeling us. That's a good and bad thing, right? <laughs> right? It's pressure. It's responsibility. But somebody's going to shape our children. Now, for some of you, you may feel like you've really failed or you're failing or you failed, your kids are grown and they're gone. And I feel like I'm failing a lot. But thank God, remember I started at the top saying parenting begins with God. God is shepherding your children, whether you are or not, or whether you are doing a good job or a bad job or an okay job, God is shepherding. My mom, as I laid, she was laying in bed one day, and I was talking with her, and she was remorsing over the divorce, uh, and she was feeling like uh, she had really blown it, and that her kids were really damaged by the divorce. And I said, Mom, two of your kids are preachers. And she said, four of them are preachers, because my sisters are just as crazy as my brother and I, for God. And uh, she said she had prayed, you know, every day, but, it, you know, it just didn't happen. I said, actually, it did happen, Mom. It just took a while. You see, so God is on the job. Don't give up. If your parents are grown, your kids are grown and gone, your grandkids, your, your nephews and nieces, pray for them. Uh, but the most important thing is that you begin living it yourself. That's the greatest influence you have is that you live it yourself. The Bible even says if there's a spouse, who's, uh, a wife whose husband's not living for the Lord, the, the Bible says, close your mouth and live a godly life. And your lifestyle will influence your husband and actually win him to God. You see, it is our modeling that makes all the difference in the world. Like one person said, Jesus, I believe in you. Protect me from your followers. You see, when the followers are not emanating Christ, it's a negative thing. But we can't imitate him. So here's what I want to ask you to do. And I'm the first one standing here, and I mean this. I'm not doing it just because uh, I want you to stand. If you feel like you have failed, this is a pretty intense message. Be the spiritual leader of your home. Get the Word of God into yourself and into your kids. Pray for your children, right? It's a pretty intense responsibility. And you feel like you are failing or have failed, I want you to stand up on your feet right now. And I'm, I'm the first one standing, so don't leave me standing here alone, all right? 
Okay, now I want you to say this with me. Say, I'm not dead yet. (laughs) All right? That means that you still have time left to influence your kids. So right now what I want to do is I want you to follow me with this. We're going to get the shame off, all right? I want you to say this out loud. Say, shame, shut up in the name of Jesus. All right, we're going to say that again. Come on, say it with me. Shame, shut up in the name of Jesus. Say this. You are not the voice of Jesus Christ. So I do not need to obey you. Now, let's ask God for forgiveness. Say, Father, forgive me for the past. Forgive me for my negligence. Forgive me for avoiding the word of God. Forgive me for turning my children over to somebody else's influence. But today's a new day. So, Father, I receive your forgiveness. And I'm asking you now. Show me how to influence my children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren with the Word of God. Declare this with me. Say, this day, I am a soldier for Jesus Christ. I will honor His Word. I will get it into my heart. And into the heart of those I have influence with. Now I'm going to pray the spirit of wisdom and revelation over you now. As the Holy Spirit opens up the Word of God. As you begin to crack open the Word, those in college, those in school, I'm going to ask you, read the Bible before you do your homework. Honor the Word of God. Parents, I'm going to ask that you begin to dedicate times to be in the Word with your kids. Ask the Holy Spirit for supernatural strategy for getting the Word of God into your own heart and into the heart of your kids. Father, I pray now the spirit of wisdom and revelation over this congregation. I pray, God, as we begin to honor your Word, you open it up to us and make this a truly a Word church that's generational, God. Open up the word of God to our teens, to our young children, to our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, our nieces and nephews. Father, we're asking you to get the word of God into the hearts and the minds of this next generation. Speak to them, God. Open up their understanding to the word of God. Refute the things they're learning in school, God, and bring the truth of your word deep into their hearts and into their minds. And we promise today we will partner with you and bring in the word of God to our children.